ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. That's right, you've turned into another episode of Bad Jew. And thank you for choosing us over the millions of podcasts that exist out there. If you have been enjoying our content, please be sure to leave a five-star review on the app that you are listening to. I am really excited today to be introducing you to Kevin Nahai. Kevin Nahai is a dear friend, a life coach, a speaker. He's here today to talk about a concept that you wouldn't expect him to talk about. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. I'm so glad to be here. And this is very special for me because, Chaz, you're a close friend, but I'm also a fan of your podcast and I'm a fan of your work. So it's like, on the one hand, it's, you know, ex- I'm excited to talk to my friend. And on the other hand, I feel very honored to be a guest on the show. Well, it's, it's always a privilege to talk to you too. You're a busy guy. You're a hard guy to catch. So honestly, I just really wanted to hang out. I, 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 Jewish learning is great, but I really just want to hang out. And this is the only way I can get a hold of you these days. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, let's just record it while we hang out anyway. It, exactly. I, honestly, I learned something from you every single time we hang out. And I have no doubt the listeners today are going to be learning something as well. This question, by the way, was asked in the Bad Jew community. Please be sure if you are interested in participating in the Bad Jew community to email badjewpod at gmail.com or go to the link in the bio on my Instagram and TikTok account. Go to the contact form, fill that out, I'll message you, and then add you to that WhatsApp group chat. We look forward to hearing from you. Otherwise, Kevin, since you are a fan of the show, you know that a right of entry onto the podcast is the Bad Jew Challenge, telling your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? Yes. Am I? Are, are we going to time this? On, oh, on, yeah. I, I got my timer ready? ready to go, buddy. All right. Three, you ready? two, one. Okay, so I was born in Los Angeles, California in 1992. No, <laughs> just kidding. So yeah, I was uh, born and raised in LA to Persian Jewish parents. Um, I grew up in Beverly Hills, fairly typical, but I did not go to the Beverly Hills school system. I went to Brentwood School, kindergarten, all the way through senior year. It was a small college preparatory uh, private school. And... Uh, I had some body image issues when I was a kid because I was chubby and the body image issues ended up coming back later in life. But um, in high school, I was a pretty happy-go-lucky kid. I played sports. I was popular. Um, I was a drummer my whole life. Started playing drums when I was five years old and I still play to this day. So I've been playing for 25 years and uh, I was obsessed with music in high school. My freshman year of college, I went straight from Brentwood to USC. Uh, any Trojans out there fight on. And I got very, very sick my freshman year of college. Um, all of a sudden, I got diagnosed with something called ulcerative colitis. I started losing weight at an incredibly fast pace. By the end of my freshman year, I weighed 112 pounds. Um, so I lost 70 pounds in one year. And Uh, I started having organ issues. I fell into a very, very deep depression, started having panic attacks, and I developed anorexia. Um, So first I lost all the weight because of the disease, and then I kept all the weight off because I was trying to control what I was eating because my life had spun so far out of control. Next two or three years of my life, that was basically my life story, depression, eating disorder, trying to battle this illness, trying to get better. And around 24 years old, um, 
I had a mentor who really changed my life and I decided to kick my ass into gear, get myself into some very serious therapy and coaching, turn my life around. Um, I went to back to graduate school. Um, and then I got, you know, my degrees and certifications and licenses and all that kind of stuff so that I could start telling my story and start helping other people. And fast forward several years later, um, during the pandemic, I launched my therapy and coaching practice full time. And uh, I'm 30 years old now, I'm about to turn 31. So by the time this airs, I might be 31. And I've been doing this full time for about three and a half, four years. I am the happiest and healthiest and strongest physically, mentally, spiritually I've ever been. Uh, the person I was 10 years ago, I've put so much distance between me and that person that I don't even recognize where I was 10 years ago. And I've had a, a difficult life from an emotional sort of anxiety standpoint, but I've had an extremely blessed, uh, very, very lucky life in many, many ways. And I just feel extremely grateful um, and very, very hopeful for what the future holds. Well, aside from just using that time really well, I think that was a very great way to leave on a positive note, to acknowledge the pain that you've gone through in your life and to really just kind of tie in together how these hardships that you've experienced in your life are now part of your practice and how you empower people today. And speaking of empowerment, your story is very empowering. It's very uplifting in that you had a very clear low point and then you found a way to thrive from that point. So kudos to you. Seriously, it's really inspiring. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. One thing I'll say about my story is that, you know, I was in therapy for seven years. I had coaches, I had mentors, I had counselors, I had doctors. And the problem that I kept running up against, and, and this will be a segue into our topic today, was that I developed a very, very sophisticated understanding of what my problems were, where they came from, how they function, the nature of them. But then when I would ask people, so what do I do? How do I turn it around? Uh, then there would be crickets because people didn't want to take on the responsibility of telling me what to do. And then if it goes south, you know, then I hold them liable or whatever. So. I designed my methodology to be the answer to that problem. I obviously don't tell people what to do with their lives, like as if I'm their father, but people come to me with questions and I try to give them very direct, clear answers to those questions. I try to bring psychological topics that are complex and distill them down into actionable steps that will actually make the difference in their lives. So the way this is relevant to our conversation is I started studying what puts people into long lasting, stable, happy, healthy relationships and what keeps single, what's, what keep, what is keeping people single forever for much longer than they would like to be. And it's multifactorial, obviously, but one of the things is the role that physical touch plays. So, of course, nobody likes to be told, you know, try not to touch your partner or wait to have sex because it's not fun to be told that. And we live in in a sex crazy 
Hollywood culture where it's like, you know, the first thing that you're supposed to do when you like somebody is sleep with them on the third date or whatever. But it turns out that from a psychological perspective and from a relational standpoint, that does not actually bode well for the health of the relationship in many cases. And that has a basis in Jewish studies. So just thought I would uh, mention that as well and, and try to make the connection. No, there, there definitely is a deep connection. And, and by the way, just to kind of speak towards your style and how you advise people in the best way to you know, transform their lives, every time that we've hung out, again, you've taught me something. You personally have taught me something. You've had an impact on my life. Thank you. Um, and so it just naturally happens whether we're hanging out or I happen to be at an event that you're speaking at. And, you know, I'll tell you right now that I took a lot of your advice when it came to my dating and now I have an amazing girlfriend. And Let's go. But I'm not Orthodox. You're not Orthodox, right? right. We, neither of us live a traditional Jewish lifestyle. We probably lean closer to that Hollywood style that you described a second ago, right? So that being said, you know, I have to ask you, why can't we touch? You know, uh -huh. what, is, what is the importance of Shomer Nagia to the extreme level that they practice it in? And what can we learn from that? Okay, so first of all, the reason we can't touch is that you have a girlfriend. Okay, fair. fair. All right. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but I think that the, the, the question you're asking is like, what is the reasoning behind this prohibition, right? Yeah. Okay, so there is the ancient Jewish teaching and then as you said very astutely there's what can we learn from it what can we take away so as a caveat first of all i don't practice shomer nagia so i'm not coming on this podcast to say you should be shomer nagia i do practice an adapted version of it that works for my life and that has worked for many 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 clients who i've advised over the last three years, I have helped 93 people get married or engaged. So it's not just I've done this with one or two or five people. It's been almost 100. And with every one of them, I told them, you know, look, this is the idea. Take what you can from it. Take what you like from it and leave the rest. But there's a lot of wisdom in it. Um, so the 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 in the olden days, the idea of Shomer Nagia is the prohibition of a man and woman touching before marriage. Um, I actually didn't know that this existed until I was on a date with a Shomer Nagia girl. And I went to hug her and she was like, oh, no, I don't touch men. And I was like, oh, why? She said, oh, I'm Shomer Nagia. And, you know, it says in the Torah that we're not supposed to touch until marriage or until engagement. Right. Some people do engagement. Some people do marriage. The teaching comes from really two places um, in the book of Leviticus. It's 18.6 and 18.19. The, the first prohibition is basically, as it says, you, you know, don't come anyone, don't come near anyone. And this applies both, both to men and women to uncover nakedness. And the other one refers to when a woman is on her period, on her period, right? Which is, used to be referred to the period of uh, uncleanliness, right? Um, to uncover her nakedness. Now, from these two passages, the rabbis basically extrapolated out the concept and they said, no kissing, no touching, no hugging, no sex, you know, before the marriage is solidified. Right. 
Um, Now, many Orthodox Jews practice this today, and they practice it for very good reason. The reason is that, obviously, when we get physical with people, it distracts our focus, our hormones start going crazy, you know, we release oxytocin, we become possessive, we become protective. Sometimes we miss red flags if we're sleeping with somebody too soon. Basically, if you had to sum the idea down into a word, it would be get to know somebody on a spiritual, emotional, mental level before you get physical. Okay. Now, what I want to emphasize, because I don't practice that, like I'll hug a girl, I'll kiss a girl, I'll touch a girl, right? But if I'm dating for marriage, and if I'm dating somebody who I think, okay, this is somebody who I really see a future with, I will try to wait as long as possible before rushing into physical intimacy. Now, as long as possible, I leave it vague on purpose because I don't want to dictate to people, you need to wait until three months or until engagement or until this or that, right? My rule of thumb for my clients is wait until there's a commitment. Wait until you're exclusive. Wait until you've decided to be boyfriend and girlfriend. Wait until you've really gotten to know each other on an emotional level and you've discussed that you're ready to move to the next stage. But don't do what most people do, which is first they get to know each other's bodies and then they reverse engineer to see if they're a match. Right. Yeah. So that's, you know, and when you do that, the physical is the glue that is holding the relationship together. But that glue is not very strong because that glue is not actually about emotional and psychological compatibility, the things that really keep people together. So we can get into the benefits of waiting, right? And more of the why you should wait and why, you know, the Shomer Nagia is is a good idea. But again, I just want to emphasize that, you know, my view of Judaism is that it's not all or nothing. It's really about taking what feels good to you and trying to apply the wisdom and the knowledge according to where you are in your journey. Well said. I think that very much aligns with the values that we talk about here on the podcast in terms of not forcing certain lessons to be now instilled in your life by the book a hundred percent to ease into it to find an organic way that makes sense for you we talked about that in a recent episode that we just recorded called how to try judaism and Mm. in that in that episode we talked about the fact that there are a lot of things that when you approach it the first time you're just not going to connect with it you're just not going to because these are these are things that are literally these are concepts that are literally thousands and thousands of years old and if you were to apply that today it's not easy there is a way to apply it today. There are people that apply it from the traditional standpoint today. And both ways of living that life are valid. But it has to make sense to you. You don't want to force it or else every action you make doesn't actually mean anything. Exactly. So an Orthodox person who is listening to this might say, here's a secular guy who has had plenty of extramarital sex and premarital sex. What's he doing talking about Shomer Nagia, Right. And, and that, that would be a, a, you know, a valid question, but I'm not here promoting Shorman Nagia. I'm saying that this is a piece of Judaism mm-hmm. that makes sense to me that I have adapted to work for my life 
in the modern world, right? Absolutely. And, and that that is exactly the reason why I connect to Judaism. If I came into Aish or if I came into an Orthodox organization or if I had a Jewish rabbi and he was saying, okay, from this day forward, you need to be Shomer Nagia. You need to be fully kosher. You need to, to do be Shomer Shabbat. You can no longer drive a car, whatever. And it was like, you have to take on you know, the sexual rules, the relationship rules, the, the food rules, all that stuff, I wouldn't, I would be much farther away from Judaism than I am. Yeah. But because learning about this concept and then adapting it to work for my lifestyle has actually worked really well in my relationships, mm -hmm. it has brought me closer to Judaism and it's connected me to a lot of other Jews who are, you know, trying to make strides in their, in their relationship department. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, we have, we had a guest on this podcast that would absolutely agree with you, by the way, the, the matchmaker from Jewish matchmaking, who was on oh, this wow. podcast, I was doing research on this concept and I found an article where she is quoted here. I'll pull it up right here. You know, she talks about in, from this article from the site Jew in the city, which is a really wonderful website that it was a blog that checked mainstream films to make sure that Jews are being represented correctly, mm. you know, because she was now on Netflix's Jewish matchmaking. Of course, this blog was going to get involved to make sure it was represented correctly and really well done. She's quoted by saying that I'm accepting and I'm great with who you are. You know, she goes and she said that she has a very inclusive way about it, but maybe they'll take on a modified version of that. It's the same way with a workout. If you can't lift 50 pounds, but you can lift five pounds and do it. I modify things we traditionally do in observant dating and bring it to everybody. In the show, the audience can grab onto those concepts too. I'm hoping to not just light up the people on the show, but really light up the world and help everyone be able to do this. Love By it. the way, I just want to remind everyone who's listening, Eliza Ben Shalom is Orthodox. She lives in Israel and she lives a pretty holy life and is now going all over the world talking about this concept and how people can apply it. I had applied it in my life. I'm going to be a little personal here and do my best not to embarrass anybody. But, you know, in the past with everyone I had dated before, the physical came first. That very lifestyle of kiss first, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to make fun of an expression here. Kiss first, ask questions later. Yeah. You know, I, I would do that. And I think that it was fun in the moment. And some of those relationships I would call semi-successful, but of course none of them lasted. In fact, the only relationship where I ever really waited the longest, just because of my lack of experience was probably my first girlfriend from high school, my high school sweetheart. But you know, my current girlfriend, just full transparency. And I hope this doesn't embarrass her, but you know, we didn't do things right away. And I did, I made a point not to do that because I really wanted to think about things differently. I didn't want to repeat the mistakes in the past. I really wanted to understand her. And after like a, you know, like a month and a half into the relationship, I remember like getting together with her on a date and I had to like sit down with her and say like, what are your red flags? Like, what are things I should know about you that are wrong about you or, or things that you need to work on? I just asked that point blank. Wow. And we had an honest conversation about like our needs and it was amazing. amazing. And yeah, it's I mean, helped us get closer in so many ways since then. It's been worth it. That's amazing. Uh, by the way, I think you did the, the perfect job just now of, of 
summarizing your experiences without, you know, throwing anyone or anything under the bus. Um, it's I try to, I try it's, to. it's hard. It's hard to talk about, you know, your, your past and mistakes you've made or the ways in which you've evolved. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I like, like I said, you know, I used to get physical first and I had some successful relationships by a certain metric, but they didn't last and they didn't, you know, they weren't the, they were held together more by the physical glue than by the emotional spiritual connection. Absolutely now right. I want to, I want to pose one objection. I'll play devil's advocate for a second and then sure. I'll address the objection. Cause I know someone who's listening to this is going to say this either to themselves or in the comments or whatever. I'm going to say, Oh really? Well, I have this one friend who, you know, slept with her husband on the first date and now they're married with three kids. So that disproves your point. And to that, I would say, I'm so glad you asked because I have that one friend too. Everybody has that one friend, Yeah. but that one friend is a tiny, tiny minority of cases. What happens the vast majority, I would say 90% of the time when you sleep with somebody on the first date is that either you lose interest or they lose interest. Either you catch feelings or they catch feelings. You now have regulated getting to know each other on a spiritual level to the back seat, and instead you're getting to know each other's bodies. And the whole thing gets messy and it's a death to an otherwise promising potential relationship. Yeah. So I don't suggest you run this experiment, but hypothetically, go on 10 first dates, sleep with 10 people on the first date, nine of them, the relationship is going to fizzle out. Maybe you'll get lucky and one of them will work out, right? And that's your one friend who that happened to. They got lucky, right? That uh, on that one time. Yeah. But those cases are are a tiny minority and there's an exception to every rule but we want to play the odds in our favor right the other part of this that always gets under people's skin but i have to say it because it's very important is that no matter what we say about our modern dating culture our modern sex culture equality, men, women, the politics of the whole thing. The truth is that human beings intrinsically value something that they have to wait longer to get and work harder to get. And so, from a business standpoint, that's called commodity. Commodity, right. I don't want to commodify human beings and their sexuality, but that's a, a good analogy, right? Yeah. So it is just a law of human nature, no matter what anybody says, no matter you know how modern or how progressive they are in their thinking, the way that human beings are, our psychology is such that if we have to wait to get physical with someone and there's more of an investment to get physical with them, we are going to covet that physical intimacy and we are going to respect that connection that we've built with them more than if it comes sooner. And that goes, that's true whether you're a guy or a girl, whether you have lots of experience or little experience. That's just one of those things that's hardwired into our minds to, to covet things that 
we are that take longer and more investment and are harder to come by. Well said. Well said. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another story. Uh, All right, let's go. Story uh, time with Chaz. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you another personal story again. I will not disparage anyone's names. I will not practice any Lashon Hurrah. This is just (laughs) purely about something that happened uh, to me, or I guess for me, however you want to look at that perspective, paradigm shift or whatever. But what happened was the last real relationship that I was in, I started a relationship, physical, with a girl, moved in with her way too soon, but I moved in because I was confident. I was confident that things were going in the right direction. We, everything felt like a honeymoon phase. It really did. And everything felt wonderful. And in terms of things that were happening behind doors in the bedroom, that area was great too. But what ended up happening was the pandemic came around and it put us both in this very difficult place. I happened, we both were working from home in the same bedroom, which which was now uh, our office. And then she got laid off from her job. She was originally from another state. And that meant that now that she had no income, she had to move back home with her parents. Mm. So with that being said, it compromised our relationship. And now it came around to this conversation of what's going to happen with us. And I had already done long distance relationships before, which is kind of the opposite of Shomer Nagia. Cause that's like forced, not touching. Yeah. But, <laughs> but now we're in this place where it's like, what's going to happen with our relationship. And I, I told, I told her, I don't, I can't do a long distance relationship. And long story short is I didn't want to have the conversation about what the future would entail. And I was dragging it out. And we finally broke up. And when we broke up, she said to me something that now that we're broken up, there were no more consequences. So she finally told me something that I had never known before. And she said to me, you know, Chaz, next time you date someone, you should really make sure that they actually want to have children one day. And I was like, we've been dating for nine months. Are you telling me that you never wanted to have children? Hmm. And she goes, no. And marriage isn't even a requirement for me. And I'm like, what? You mean you've been lying to me for nine months about this crucial deal breaker? Hmm. And she said, yeah. And the more and more I reflected on that, the more work I've done in therapy and with rabbis and my own personal journey and spiritual journey, I've realized that those red flags were there the whole time. But because I had focused on the physical side of the relationship, which is a very important and valued side in Judaism. I hadn't really acknowledged this important blaring red flag that would have just hurt me in the long run. Because sex masks problems. Boom. Whoa. Sex masks problems. It We, we get caught up in the emotions, in the pheromones, in the hormones, in the all type of moans <laughs> and, you know, in, including the vocal moans. And, you know, we, we basically make, we, we pedestalize this other person because we have this great connection. I mean, I've had a lot of male clients who have, you know, they're, they have anxiety, they keep fighting with their girl. It, the relationship is bad. They have a different vision. They have a different values. I asked them, what is keeping you in this relationship? 
and they're like, oh, the sex is just so good, you know? And I've had lots of female clients, you know, same exact thing. And I say, what is keeping you in this relationship? Oh, well, I'm just, I just feel so attached to him, right? So whether you're, whether you feel attached to someone because of the emotions or you feel attached to them physically, getting physical with somebody often creates a false, it creates a premature attachment that is illusory, right? Now, as you said, the physical is extremely important in Judaism. You should be attracted to your partner. You should have lots of sex with your partner and Bezrat Hashem make beautiful Jewish children and have a passionate, exciting sex life, right? But wait until they're your partner or some version of that, right? So that you give the relationship the best possible chance of working out and so that you minimize the chances that it won't work out. There's no guarantee. You could do what we're suggesting here and get divorced in 20 years, God forbid, right? Or you cannot listen to anything that we're saying and be that that lucky number one who, you know, it it works out for you perfectly. But this is all about minimizing and mitigating risk factors and trying to maximize chances of success. So thank you for sharing that story with me. I've got similar stories and, you know, I think everybody, if they're being honest with themselves, can point to a time in their past where they got physical too soon. The hotter it starts, the colder it ends, my friend. Wow. So that's a line. That's a line. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I want to also emphasize something really important to those who are listening to this show that, you know, the one thing I don't want people to take away from this is that we are shaming anybody for having gone too physical too soon. I've made that mistake multiple times. Me too. Ke Kevin. Yeah. Kevin has done it himself. I think we all have at different points and we've learned, but I can tell you right now, my personal pointer to all the men out there who are listening uh, is that I'll tell you right now that by waiting, women will respect you more. Women will see the amount of control that you have and value that. A man who can control himself can have the entire world. But you have to be able to control yourself. Absolutely. That's, 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 I think that's my, that's my point that I want to make. No one's, no one's to be shamed. You know, this is not about, you know, what they do in a lot of churches where they make sex taboo. This is not yeah. about that. sex is a wonderful thing. Yeah, this is really about finding that happy medium between living an amazing, intimate, beautiful life and being allowing anyone to just do whatever they want to you with you. That's it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's what what we value. We we value a diamond from Tiffany's more because it's expensive. It's a diamond. It's hard to get it had to go through this process of being transported from another country and whatever. We don't value a toy from the 99 cent store because it can be had at little to no cost, right? So we're not shaming people who shop at the 99 cent store, but we're trying to elevate people into an upper echelon and get them to value themselves more and respect themselves more. And as you said, as a result, be respected more. So 
sex is a beautiful, wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with people who have it. There's nothing wrong with people who have a different set of values than mine, right? Ultimately, my only goal is to get people into happy and healthy relationships. And if you can do that through a different path than what I'm suggesting, then by all means, right? It's no skin off of our back. But I think that, you know, this is one lesson that has really bowed, that, that really has, has been conducive to relational success in my life and my clients' lives. And it's one lesson that has brought me closer to Judaism without becoming Orthodox. And that's something I really want to share with young professional Jews. You can get closer to Judaism without becoming Orthodox. You can get closer to Judaism without completely uprooting your entire lifestyle or getting indoctrinated by, you know, whoever this cult is. This is all just about, you, you can get closer to Judaism without ever picking up a Torah. You know, it's all just about elevating yourself spiritually and emotionally respecting and valuing yourself, understanding and honoring your own needs and being a better person for the people around you. I think that's so well said. Kevin, it's been a real treat to have you on this podcast. And again, I always learn something new and amazing every time we hang out and get together. And this just happens to be a more formalized version of a hangout that's controlled and confined into a roughly 30 minute piece of content. So again, thank you so much, Kevin. Should listeners want to be able to connect with you, what is the best way they can connect? Thank you so much for having me, Chaz. Um, just reach out to me either on my website, kevinahai.com. There's a contact button. It goes straight to my phone. Or on my Instagram, you can send me a DM. My name, Kevin Nahai. Amazing. Kevin, it really is a treat to have you on this podcast. I cannot wait to engage in your next speaking event. And again, to all the listeners, thank you so much. This was a bad Jew question here from the WhatsApp community. If you're interested in being on the bad Jew WhatsApp community, be sure to email badjewpod at gmail.com or go to the contact form in the link, fill it out. I'll reach out to you and then we'll add you to that WhatsApp group where you can ask questions and engage in a safe space where you can be Jewish and not be shamed for any question that you ask. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shalom.